0: Hey New City family, thank you for coming to listen to this week's message. This is AJ Farthing and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at New City. Our mission is to see Jesus change lives and reach the world. We want you to be a part of that movement by helping you grow as a disciple and encouraging you to share with others. So be sure to share this with someone you know to help encourage them. If you happen to live in the Tampa area, come check out our church on Sunday mornings at 920 or 11 a.m. You can find the information and other resources on our website, newcitytpa.com. I pray this message encourages and challenges you in your faith, and you take this message and share it with those in your life. If you are here for the first time, know that we are just so thankful that you've decided to worship with us today. We hope and pray that New City will be a place of just week after week, just being refreshed in the Lord. Um, Today we're going to jump back into Luke chapter 5 and we're going to see two popular stories where Jesus heals a man with leprosy in one story and then also we're going to see a paralyzed man whose friend lower him through a roof. Um, And these are some of my favorite stories because uh, I remember as a 15-year-old hearing these stories um, as a person who was just not very familiar with the Bible, I was just so fascinated by these stories. And maybe you've heard these stories a hundred times Or maybe you were like me as a high school kid, uh, and today you're hearing it for the first time. But what I know to be true are that the truths of these stories are are timeless. Because what I also know to be true is that we live in a fast-paced world. We live in a world with deadlines and due dates and and busy schedules and sick kids and kids with all sorts of needs Uh, and just with endless to-do lists where it feels like the needs and the demands are endless. And the reason I am so thankful for these two stories is because I am very personally aware of how easy it is to lose sight of our greatest need of every day, which is Jesus. And what I love about these stories is that Jesus, he doesn't just dismiss all the other needs. No, he sees them, he knows them, he addresses them, and then he helps with them. I mean, these are two different guys with incredible needs. One has leprosy and one is paralyzed. And Jesus, he shows compassion and care, and then he actually does something to help. But in all the physical demands, what we see these two guys do in their needs are to go to Jesus. They found Jesus. They drew near to Jesus, and when they were with Jesus, they found healing, which leads us to our very simple main idea, which is to come to Jesus. That's, that's where we're going, draw near to Jesus. Y'all, sometimes we can just so overcomplicate the Christian faith. I mean, I, I, love, I love the depths of theology. I love teaching the Bible. I mean, just all the intricacies of the Bible. There are a lot of things we can have questions about and ask why about. And we should ask and wrestle with the Lord. We say, and we can say, God, why is this happening? Or, God, I don't understand. But we have to understand in our wrestling and in our asking, the beauty of the wrestling and the struggle is that in it, we are drawing near to the Lord. And so New City, my hope and prayer for today is that by the end of our time, we would know and remember that our greatest need today is to draw near to Jesus. Like I'm praying that we wouldn't just know it, but we would long for it and do it. Because in our coming to Jesus, God, he refreshes our soul, he renews our spirit, and God, he heals and restores us in our nearness to him. So that's where we're going. That's our direction. But before we get there, I do want us to work through our text. And I want to introduce our text by looking at a passage in Leviticus <laughs> that tells us about the Old Testament laws of, in regards to uh, this bacterial, contagious, um, at the time, deadly disease called leprosy, uh, skin disease of leprosy. And I don't, I don't think I've ever started by reading um, out of the book of Leviticus, but I found it fascinating, so we're going to do it. Look at Leviticus 13, uh, chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. This is what it says. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priest. And the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease." When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. And then it keeps going and uh, sharing more and more about what all to do when it breaks out, when you see the raw flesh. But do you know what is the most shocking thing to me about all of this? Well, it's not the disease of leprosy, um, and it's not that they didn't have a dermatologist there. No, the most shocking thing to me was that the Lord chose the priest to be the ones to examine the need. Like, like the, the disease here. Like It was the priest. And I know times were different back then, and these laws, they don't apply to us anymore, and I'm sure there's a good significant reason for this, but, like, do they not have a town doctor? And I read this, and it just makes me so thankful that the qualifications for a pastor don't include dealing with raw flesh and erupting wounds. And yes, I I will handle sick and and blood uh, and raw flesh wounds if I have to, but there is a very significant reason why I start taking very deep breaths whenever I go to the emergency room. Like, that is not the calling on my life. But the priests, they handled the uh, leprosy cases. And look at the prescription given in the book of Leviticus in the Mosaic Law for those that pronounce to have leprosy. Look at starting in verse 45 of chapter 13. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So this was social distancing before social distancing was a thing. And because of the nature and extremity of the disease, the prescribed treatment was not actually a treatment, but to let everyone else around you know that, they, that you had leprosy, that you were, you were to wear torn clothes, uh, kind of let your hair go crazy, to cover your mouth and cry out, unclean, unclean. And they were to live alone, away from everyone else, totally isolated from their community so this was the prescribed method for all those uh, that had leprosy, um, just so they didn't spread it. And I bring all of this up because look what it says in our text in Luke chapter 5, verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And I want to stop there. Because of all of what we just read in Leviticus, we know that this man is socially considered unclean. He's been living in isolation. He's been socially excommunicated because of his sickness. And I think it's fair to say this man was desperate. He knew he needed something to help him. I mean, I just imagine uh, just imagine living by yourself in total isolation, and who knows for how many years, as your body is deteriorating, just waiting to die. And you're just in so much pain and ache uh, the entire time. Again, it's, it's fair to say this man was desperate. This man was very aware of his need for help. And so what does he do? Well, he goes and he finds Jesus. He finds Jesus, the man who is known for healing people. And he gets down on his face and he begged Jesus to heal him. Like he knew that Jesus could do it, but he was just begging for his healing mercies to actually do it. And then look what happens next. This is shocking what, ha- what is happening here. Like, this is the type of moment. This is a, a take-your-breath type of moment. Look at verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And maybe us today, maybe we don't think much of this because we know that Jesus, he's already been healing people and casting out demons. And so this kind of fits Jesus' resume. But remember, the law said this guy with leprosy was to stay away. He was to cover his mouth and he was to yell unclean, unclean as a warning to all those around him. And as we read earlier, he didn't do that. No, this man, he broke the law coming to Jesus. By drawing near to Jesus. But I want you to notice the kindness and the gentleness of Jesus as this man was in deep pain and isolation, and also as he was breaking the law. And what did Jesus do? He didn't shun him, he didn't say, Get away, stay away, he didn't shame him, he didn't reprimand him. No, in compassion, he simply stretched out his hand and he touched him, saying, I will be clean. And you see, this is the tender and compassionate heart of God. And look what happens next. Verse 14. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. And this is the intriguing part of the story. Because he, he tells him, to he just healed him. And he says, don't tell anyone. I mean, we would think he would want to tell everyone. And this is what the, the scholars call the messianic secrets because they didn't, he didn't want everyone to have a misunderstanding of his messiahship. Uh, he, didn't want to, like, he didn't come just to do physical healings, but spiritual and soul healings. He came to build his eternal kingdom. And so instead of shouting on the rooftop and screaming and dancing the streets like we would think maybe he would do, Jesus told the man to go to the priest and to follow the law to be reinstated so that he could be brought back into his community. And I find this significant because Jesus' act of healing him, it helped his immediate struggle with his disease. But in him telling him to go to the priest, he was also helping him with his social struggle of isolation and loneliness. Because yes, his physical pain and sickness, that was no fun. It was painful. But the emotional pain of isolation and loneliness, just maybe that was worse. And Jesus, after he healed him, gave him a realistic way to be brought back into his community. And as we think about this first encounter, the one thing I want us to notice with Jesus here and the leper, in line with our big idea, is number one, come to Jesus in our pain and isolation. Again, the leper, he was in physical pain. He was socially isolated, and so what did he do when he went to Jesus? And no, uh, we may not have leprosy, and no, we may, there may not be a law uh, that keeps us on the fringes of society as a means to keep everyone else uh, safe from this disease, but I think we can understand that it feels like what it feels like to be in physical and emotional pain. Like, we know what loneliness and isolation feels like. And no, maybe we're not physically isolated like the leper in our story, but what I also know is that we can be around crowds of people and know lots of people and have many people call us friend and we can still still feel lonely. Church, loneliness, it speaks to the soul's longing for a depth of relationship. It speaks uh, to the longing to be known and loved without bounds. And this is why why we as a church, why we value, one of our core values is authentic relationships. We want each person that comes here to be personally known and loved in a deep and personal way because God, he created us for relationships. He created us for community. We have to work hard to build and establish these deep relationships and friendships. But as we see in our story, our God is also a God in the midst of all of that, we can come to him falling on our faces and beg for help. Like, we can come to him with all of our greatest needs and wants and desires, and we can come to him in our pain. And what he doesn't say to us in that moment is, get up, like, get over yourself. No. Jesus, in full compassion here, He sees us in our physical pain and in our deep soul pain. He sees us in our isolation and loneliness, and he sees us in our sin and brokenness, and he looks at us and says, I'm here. He says, I see you. I know you. You're safe here, and I'm here to help. And what's so beautiful about Jesus in this encounter with the leper is that as we see the leper come to him, The leper drew near to Jesus, and in return, Jesus extended his hand, and he drew near to him, and Jesus healed him. And then he pointed him right back to God's people and reinstated him back into community. New City, this is the heart of God. When we draw near to God, he draws near to us. When we come to Jesus, part of what he does in return is to push us back into our community. And the way that Jesus extends his hand to us today is by giving us the word and through prayer, Jesus extends his, his hand to us through the loving arms of the church, the people of God They can show us the, a visible expression of the love of God. Not perfect, but we can, we can show it. And I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're in a physical pain or maybe you're in like a deep soul pain or feeling isolated. The call today is to simply come to Jesus for healing and restoration but but let's let's keep working through our text because I want you to notice what happens next look look what it says in verse 15 and 16 But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So these two verses, I think, can kind of seem like uh, just two extra verses, but I found these two verses so encouraging, and I was a little struck by them this week, because again, the needs. Uh, that we see in this text are endless I mean news was spreading people wanted to be healed and I think it's fair to say that Jesus he had a lot of people fighting for his time I mean Jesus he was a busy guy but notice in verse 16 in his demanding schedule it says but he withdraw but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray it's like a multiple thing it's happening multiple times he would withdraw to desolate places and pray So the more demanding Jesus' schedule became, the more time he spent with his Father, the more time he spent with the Lord. Church, even Jesus himself needed to get away for a quiet time in a quiet place to be with his Father, to be with God the Father. Y'all, Jesus' greatest need was not to heal. Jesus' greatest need was not to do ministry and to serve everyone else's need. No, Jesus' greatest need was him himself to find connection with the Lord. It was to pray and to worship the Lord and pray. It was not just to heal everyone else's sickness, but to pray for everyone else's soul. Leading us to say, number two, come to Jesus in our busyness. Again, the greater the demands and needs on our life become, the greater our need for silence and solitude with the Lord becomes. Like our schedules and how we spend our time, our busyness, it shows our priorities, it shows what we value. And so how much more do we need to schedule in and carve out just regular rhythms in our day to spend slow and unhurried time with God and His Word and, th- and prayer? And I know everyone's life is different. Like a college student is going to have a very different schedule than a mom and dad with babies and toddlers. Like both are going to see 2 a.m., but for two totally different reasons. Like a high school kid and an empty nester, two totally different lives, but yet both have the exact same need in their day, and it is to intimately connect with Jesus. I'm going to think about my own life with four kids, a wife, pastoring a church and baseball and softball, coaching and basketball, football, volleyball, all of it. I mean, our days are, are full, sun up to sun down, and I, I go to bed, T-I-R-E-D. I mean, the needs are endless, and yet I know if I don't get away for silence and solitude throughout the day to be in the Word and pray, and sometimes multiple times a day getting away on just, maybe just prayer walks, like, I can easily become a grouchy grouch, like, quickly, and one of, the, one of the ways that I've personally done this to help me kind of reset my heart throughout the day is to become the kind of weirdo that rides in the car all by myself and just complete and total silence. Not a word, nothing singing, nothing being said. Just silence. It's beautiful. Sometimes praying out loud. Sometimes just kind of thinking and processing in just a kind of a quiet place. And I know this isn't for everyone, But my point is, in the chaos of our days, we have to find intentional time to carve out in our days to be in the Word and in prayer. New City, being in prayer... This is not just a time for us to list off a bunch of needs, and yes, we do that, but prayer is so much more than that. Prayer is a response to our heart's cry for worshiping something greater than us. Prayer is what fuels us, and it is what renews our souls, because again, everything we see in both stories today, it pushes us to draw near to God, because the benefits of drawing near to God, they're endless, I mean, if Jesus had to regularly draw near to God, how much more do we? But let's keep moving through our text. This is this, is, this next one is one of my favorite stories, this next encounter here. I, I love the placement of both of these stories and how they connect with last week's text of where Jesus calls his disciples to be fishers of men because we're starting to see like what this looks like. Look, look at our next encounter in Luke 5, starting in verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So again Jesus is doing what he does, he's teaching, people are coming from all over to hear him and he see we see Jesus physically healing many people and it says the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Seems like a good gig. Things are going well. Life is good. And then look what it says happens in verse 18. Behold some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And so I want you to imagine the scene here. Jesus is teaching in a large crowd in a house, uh, and then several guys are bringing in a paralyzed man on a bed, and they were trying to get him in front of Jesus, but they couldn't find a way in. I mean, I just imagine the doors jam-packed, the windows jam-packed. I imagine uh, kids on parents' shoulders trying to get a glimpse of Jesus, teenagers kind of climbing through the windows, alleyways to the house jam-packed. Everyone in the city is trying to get close to Jesus to figure out what this guy's all about. And I love this story because it shows the determination of this guy's friends to get him in front of Jesus because the, the door wasn't working. The windows weren't working. And so they thought, well, let's try to go through the roof. Now, the creativity of this, just incredible. I'm not sure I would have thought of that, but they made it on top of the roof, probably thinking, probably taking the steps on the side of the house like they had at the time. And it, was, uh, it says they moved some tiles, and then they lowered him down. I mean, can you just imagine that? Uh, who knows how they did Maybe they took their belts off, tied it to the bed, and kind of lowered him down. I have no idea. But what I'd like to think maybe happened, <laughs> I think this would be kind of fun. I mean, they were like, okay, here's the plan. I'll hold the, bl- the bed with my hands. You grab my ankles. I'm going to go upside down, and we're going to get him in front of Jesus. Like just fully extended, just hanging from the ceiling upside down. I mean, again, who knows how they got him there, but could you imagine what everybody inside of the room was thinking in the moment? It would be like me sitting here teaching, and all of a sudden, like the roof starts making noises, and it opened up, and you just see some heads kind of peeping through the tiles here. I mean, I think it's fair to say it was a bit of a distraction. I can't imagine Jesus kept teaching as a man in a bed as being lowered down through the roof. No, it had to have been a ruckus. It was a chaotic moment, kids crying, men like probably screaming and grunting, people running and leaving. But these guys, they got him in front of Jesus, which again was an incredible moment. But what I want you to notice here was not the audacity of the action, but the audacity of their faith because the faith and courage of these guys to fight for their friend, to get him in front of Jesus, that is what makes this event so significant, which leads me to say, may we do whatever it takes to number three, bring our friends to Jesus. Because if what we're saying is true, that there is something special that happens when people encounter the goodness of God and encounter Jesus, then may we in love as we come to Jesus, just simply bring others with us. Like when we saw last week, they were called to be fishers of men. This week, again, we're seeing it in action, being illustrated for us. This was the call for Jesus' disciples, and this is our call today as followers of Jesus. We are to bring those around us to Jesus. And this looks different for every person. But one of the most significant things for me in my own life as a high school kid was someone taking this exact passage to heart. And this guy doing whatever he could to put me in a place to hear about Jesus. I'm not kidding. Every single Monday night as a freshman and sophomore in high school, this guy, he would look at me and say, hey, I'm going to be at your house at 630. Be ready because I'm taking you to Young Life Club. Like, I don't think he ever asked me if I wanted to go. Like, I don't think ever. He just told me he was picking me up, and then he showed me, he showed up at my house, and week after week, I heard about Jesus. Jesus. He picked me up for Bible studies. He raised a ton of money for me, a bunch of my friends, to help us go to a week-long camp to offset our costs so that we could be in a place to hear about Jesus multiple times a, a day for a week straight. I mean, this was two years of him doing whatever it took to get me in a place to hear about Jesus. Two years of a constant pursuit of week after week of him physically picking me up to put me in a place to hear the gospel and to hear of the goodness of Jesus. And you know what it did for me? It changed my life. Totally altered my eternity. you know what? No, my, my friend did not change my life. No, Jesus changed my life. But you better believe God used my friend to metaphorically speaking, week after week, go out of his way to lay me at the feet of Jesus. I'm just thinking about your own life and how you came to faith. What did the other person have to do For you to get you in front of Jesus and encounter the transforming power of the gospel. And I know this may play out in so many different ways for each of us today, but I want to give a few examples of maybe what it looks like to bring our friends to Jesus. And the first, I think maybe the easiest is simply just by inviting to church. We talked about this last week. Every time we invite someone to church, we're inviting people to come to Jesus that, where they can hear about the goodness of Jesus in the gospel. Maybe you're a college student and maybe you make it a goal, your goal to fill up your car every week with friends by simply inviting a friend to join you. Maybe you're inviting someone who's far from God or maybe someone who's just kind of on the fence of faith. Bringing someone with you to church, it is just an incredible way to get people in a place to hear the word, hear about Jesus, and to encounter God in his glory. I want to also think about moms and dads. are just bringing your kids to church week after week. And the challenge it can, be, it can be just to get here, but the beauty that it is to week after week get our kids around other people who love Jesus and being taught the Bible. I mean, I think about the blessing that our, 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 our family's life, that our kids' ministry has been to our family, just being able to come here and be around other kids and leaders who love Jesus. Again, simply just inviting someone you love to join us on Sundays, it's just a great way to bring our friends to Jesus. But then also... Another way that we can bring our friends to Jesus is by simply redirecting challenges to Jesus. Y'all, the guys in our our story, they believe that Jesus could heal their friend. And there's just something so incredibly faith-building when the people around us remind us that no challenge is too great for Jesus. Because sometimes we just need other people in our life to remind us and speak truth to us when we're struggling to see it ourselves. I know for my own life, when I'm just maybe grumbling or complaining or maybe stressed, whatever the challenge is, when my wife or my friends just simply remind me that Jesus, he is still sitting on the throne when, they, when they're reminding me of God's goodness and his sovereignty and his plan in just a gentle and non-judgmental way, like there is something that happens in my own heart through the work of the Spirit when someone brings me back to Jesus in those moments. Like just a simple and loving nudge to look to Jesus and to stop in the moment and pray. Church, that can go a long way. And, and I'll, be, I'll be transparent here because I, I, grew, up, I grew up in the South, When someone says, we're praying for you, with most people, I don't actually believe they're going to pray. I honestly think it's more of a nicety. And yes, I believe that some people do pray after the fact, but when someone stops me in the moment, they lay their hand on my shoulder and pray for me on the spot. In that moment, they are redirecting me to the Lord. In that moment, they are bringing me to Jesus. They're spiritually speaking, putting me on a stretcher and laying me at the feet of Jesus just by in the moment praying over me and for me. There's so many other things we could say about redirecting our needs and challenges to Jesus. But I also want to say, lastly here in this, in this point, the third point, proclaiming the gospel. Sharing our faith. Y'all, every time we sit, tell someone about the goodness of Jesus, the Spirit of God is using us in the moment to bring the person that we're sharing with to have an encounter with Jesus. When we proclaim the gospel of Jesus, we are creating a way for the spiritually paralyzed to walk out in freedom. Again, I love the courage and boldness of the paralytic's friends to go above and beyond to bring them to Jesus because it gives us today a visible picture of what we're doing as we seek to build the kingdom of God. But let's finish our story because look what it says right after they put him at Jesus' feet in verse 20. When we saw their faith, it says in verse 20, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. So I want to stop there and just acknowledge the goodness of Jesus in this moment. And first, well, because this dude, he just dropped from the ceiling. And Jesus, he had the patience to not say like, boy, what, are you, what is wrong with you? What are you doing? Do you think you're Spider-Man? Like, what is happening here? So, no, Jesus, he didn't do that. But rather, he looked at him and he said, your sins are forgiven. And notice he didn't first say, be healed. But rather, he first said, your sins are forgiven. And this was odd to several listening because look what it says next in verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So apparently Jesus saying that wasn't popular because the scribes and Pharisees put Jesus on the hot seat because they didn't think he had the authority to forgive sins. And I love this next part. Look what it says in verse 22. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered to them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. And again, I find this great because Jesus, he's reading their mind. He sees right through them. He sees that they're not so sure about Jesus. They can't figure him out, and they're questioning who Jesus really is. And so he gave them a bit of a trick question here by saying, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? And he brings this up because, again, he sees right through them. He knows to them it seems easy to just go around and say, hey, your sins are forgiven. But to to heal a man, only God could do that. he says next in verse 24 and 25. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. So the paralyzed man, he just gets up and walks out. And I can't help but think about the guys sitting up on top of the roof who just carried this guy to this home up the stairs and lowered him down the roof. I mean, I'd like to think they were a little bit thankful in this moment, like extremely thankful because they didn't have to carry him back. They just saw the guy that carried him on the mat, pick up his mat, and walk out the door, praising God with joy. It says he was glorifying God. But like Jesus always does, there are a few things happening here. Like there's the, the miracle of the guy that was just healed, walked out the door. But there's also the fact that before Jesus healed his body, he, he said he forgave his sins. And the reason Luke tells us Jesus healed his body was so that they would believe that he had the authority to also forgive his sins. And as a response to end the story, look what it says. Verse 26. An amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. It says they see extraordinary things. Not only did they see a man coming down from a, a, the roof, but who was paralyzed, lying on a mat, walk out, walking out of the room, carrying his mat, but they also saw Jesus prove that he had the authority to forgive sins. So the further we get into the Gospel of Luke, the more we see why Jesus came. He started out showing his power through healing and casting out demons, kind of showing that he was God. And now Jesus, he's starting to show more of his purpose. He's showing us today that we don't just come to Jesus for our physical needs, but our spiritual needs. And whether we actually believe it or not, our greatest need today is our spiritual need of having our sins forgiven. I mean, just think about it. When the paralyzed man was lowered in front of jesus the first thing jesus did was to see his faith and offer him forgiveness of sin jesus started out this entire this entire interaction with the man's greatest need And let's not forget, this man was lying on a bed paralyzed. And and I've never been paralyzed, but I can't imagine it would be fun. You can't feed yourself, can't clothe yourself, can't go to the bathroom by yourself, just totally and entirely helpless. And yet Jesus looks at him and sees his greatest need is not his paralysis, but his sinfulness. His greatest need was not to walk again, but to be holy again. New City, our greatest need today, February 11th, 2024, is not our to-do list our greatest need is not to overcome a challenge of school or work or our finances, which yes, those are all big needs, and they're, but they're not the greatest. Church, our greatest need is not our loneliness or our kids' struggles or marital problems. Again, yet, they're important. Yes, Jesus, he deeply, deeply cares about them, but today, no questions asked. Our greatest need is for our sins to be forgiven our greatest need is for every wrong we've done for every lie we've told for every manipulative uh, action we've ever committed and for every harsh word we've ever spoken our greatest need is to have those forgiven and removed and totally and completely done away with and not because not by some like ambiguous spiritual cleansing but rather because our sin every one of our sins it separates us from God and if we're separated from God by our sin we have no way of eternal life. We have no way, if we're separated from God by our sin, we have no way of personally connecting with God in a real way and the peace and the joy and the love and all the fruits of the spirits that are given to us, we don't have access to them. You know, the, the God of the universe, He created us to love Him, to know Him. be in a relationship with him. God created us to find peace and joy and comfort in him. Like there is a supernatural peace that is available to us in Jesus, but if we are still in our sins, none of that is available to us today. If our sins remain unforgiven, the path of our future is destruction. If we remain in our sin, the weight of this life is totally on our shoulders and we're fighting an uphill losing battle. But if our sins are forgiven, we have the power of God on our side and we have unconditional love and freedom. We have, the, we have a daily new start available to us every single moment of every day, which leads me to say, may we, number four, come to Jesus through the forgiveness found in the gospel. Well, both of these stories with the man with leprosy and the paralyzed man both of these things throughout the Bible like with leprosy and paralysis they paint a picture for us giving us a metaphor for the nature of sin I mean sin it's paralyzing sin spreads and grows like leprosy sin is destructive and painful and it can spiritually kill our souls if we don't have forgiveness of sin our souls look exactly like the paralyzed man and the leper desperate, needing healing, in isolation, and seemingly hopeless. But yet, God in his goodness provided hope and healing in Jesus. I mean, just think about this. He he, he said earlier, which is harder, to forgive sins or to say, pick up your mat and walk? And when Jesus proposed that question to the audience at the time, healing the paralyzed man, again, seemed more difficult. But what Jesus knew was that forgiving sins was actually the far more difficult task. Because for Jesus to heal the man, all he had to do was simply speak, and the man walked out, and he was healed. But for his sins and for our sins to uh, be forgiven, for us to have hope and healing, for us to have good news, Jesus had to go to the cross, be nailed to the cross, be whipped, tortured, and he had to die like so that he could then be ro- he could rise from the dead the gospel is a message of good news that guarantees us forgiveness of sin it guarantees us when we place our faith in Jesus that we're clean and free The gospel takes the weight of the world that is on our shoulders and it places entirely on Jesus. In the gospel, Jesus takes our punishment and we gain his reward. In the gospel, Jesus takes our sin and we gain his holy standing. Church, because of the gospel, we can enter into this room, enter into any room, paralyzed by our sin. But when we encounter Jesus by faith and faith alone, we can walk out in freedom and we can walk into new life. Well this is a free gift that is given to all those who call on the name of the Lord. There is nothing that we can do. It's our faith alone. It's coming to Jesus that gives us forgiveness. And today if you've never given your life to Jesus, you can walk out of here today clean and totally free. You can walk out of here and forever into eternity with the new title, Holy Saint, Loved and Forgiven, and coming to Jesus in faith that he lived, died, and rose again. That is the only requirement. Like if you know that you're paralyzed by your sin, if you feel like an outcast and unclean because of your sin, today by drawing near to God, you can walk out of here deemed totally clean and free. If you've never given your life to Jesus, Would you come to Jesus today and find the forgiveness that is offered to you in the grace of the gospel? But also I want to address all those who have given their life to Jesus because really the same still holds true for us because today in Jesus our greatest need, it has been met. Our sins have been forgiven which means our greatest reward is simply waiting for us our greatest gift today is God. Our greatest gift today is Jesus, that we can come to Jesus and be renewed day after day in the Lord, that we can come to God with all of our struggles and our pain and our loneliness and brokenness, and we can just sit at his feet and know that in Christ there is peace in our chaos. There is Joy in our hardship, and there is communion and relationship with Jesus in our loneliness and isolation. And so, the call for each person today is to simply just come and sit at the feet of Jesus, to lay at his feet, be renewed and restored yet again, and be healed, and to find freedom, and to, and to come to his word. And we come to his word and meditate on the cross, and delight in our forgiveness, and find peace, knowing God's, God holds our very life in his hands. You know, at the beginning of our time, you know, I made a comment about how I found it odd (laughs) that the, the priest was the one responsible to handle the leprosy cases. And I can't help but think how hopeless and discouraging it had to have been when the priest, the person who was responsible to go to God on their behalf, I can't help but think how gut wrenching it had to have been for the priest to prescribe to you to stay away, to leave, and to be labeled unclean. For the priest to essentially say, for the good of the community, we have to say, you're not welcome here. And yet, when Jesus, our great high priest, our eternal, far better priest, when Jesus saw him, He didn't see his disease, no, he saw his heart. And I can't help but think how today, because of the gospel, Jesus does the exact same thing for us. Brother in Christ, today, because of your faith in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. You're clean and free. Draw near to Jesus. Sister in Christ, because of your faith, your guilt is gone, your sin is gone, you're clean and free. You can come to Jesus again and just sit in and delight. And because of the cross today, no matter the sin, no matter the chaos, and no matter the struggle, when we draw near to Jesus, our, our souls can find rest and we can find peace. We can be at peace. New City, would we draw near to Jesus today? I pray that we would. And as we do that, I hope and pray that we can invite others to join us. Let's pray. God, you're, you're good. You're kind. God, I pray if there's anybody in here that has never surrendered their life to Jesus, if they've never heard the message of the gospel, that the only way to be with God is through Jesus and Jesus alone. It's not by coming to church, it's not by reading our Bible, it's not by doing all these things, it's by faith in Jesus alone that gets us into the kingdom of God. God, I pray for if there's someone here that's never, never come to Jesus in an in a, in a eternally saving way, I pray that they would do that. And for the rest of us, I pray that we would yet again come to Jesus and delight in your goodness. We ask for your help, in Jesus' name, amen.